what we're going to do when they, the kids leave is we're going to pray for all of our youth leaders. Because as the group continues to grow, I know my lack of teaching ability or patience with kids this thin, and I know all theirs are too. Uh, but thanks be to God for those people, right? It takes special people to sacrifice their time up here to uh, serve and to sit with and lead and educate, tolerate without whipping too many kids. Uh, we should also sign a no whipping crying clause, right? So if your kid bat- misbehaves, you sign the clause, we can whip them until they cry. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. I do like a little torture of kids. But anyway, Malachi chapter 3, we're going to finish the whole book of Malachi, all four chapters, not very big. We spent six weeks, I think, in this particular book. We've broken down to the six conversations that God has with his people. Every single time you see God's heart of always wanting to redeem his people, whether that be people not remembering his love for them, that his love for them was never based on their performance, but it was always based on what, if you remember? His promise. He promised to love these people. And every time they would rebel, and every time they would turn their backs against God, he would constantly deliver them, and out of his love, not for how well they were behaving, because let's just face it, none of us deserve his love. I mean, you and I misbehave more than we probably want to admit. We do not earn or deserve the love of God. But because he promised to love his people, and he promised to love those that would come to faith in Christ and follow him, So as a born-again believer, I can cling to the promise of God loving me, not because of how good I am or how many times I make it to church on time or how many verses I memorize this month or or how much money I give. I, I cling to the promise that He loves me because He said He would. So I can take my God as He said at His word. We also saw how these people were, were offering scraps on the altar rather than an unblemished lamb. They were offering lame or blind animals on the altar, which was an abomination to a holy, righteous God. And we saw how you and I, if we aren't careful, we'll, we'll give to God our little bit of scarcity and our free time. We'll give to God a little bit of our service in this particular outreach because I just don't have anything going on that day. Or, or we might give to God, you know, five minutes of reading the Bible that week. Or, you know, if we aren't careful, we will follow in, or fall into this dangerous cycle of giving to God our scraps and consuming all of our good time, all of our good energy, all of our good amount of money on us, which is just selfishness, and it is also a sin against God. We've seen over the time how the people were unfaithful to their wives, and how in their marriages they were unfaithful, and then getting divorced, and and for unrighteous reasons. And now, last week, it's kind of encouraging to me, because last week we talked about money, and then the house is full again. Right, I was kind of expecting a few empty seats and a little more free space today, but we talk about how we are commanded to give to the Lord. Not just of our money, but of our time, of our energy, all of our resources. Your resources. You and I have the same resources. Now the amount's different. The amount of energy you have may be different than the amount of energy I have. And those of us over 30 can say, amen, right? Uh, maybe if you're over 40 or 50 or 60, you can also say amen. Uh, but you notice how your energy does deplete over time, but you still have some. We all have the same amount of time. Now, your amount of free time may be different than my amount of free time, but we still have time, and we all have money. Some of us have little money. Some of us have lots of money. 
So we all have resources to give back to God. Now we come to the conclusion of this book in which we see God is going to make a distinction between the wicked or the unrighteous people and the righteous. One thing I wrote in my notes when preparing for today was this. One thing I can conclude, so on, in my Bible, I don't know what page you're on. What, just look at the top of the page or the bottom of the page. See whatever number you are on. I'm on page 1,460. That's what page Malachi chapter 3 and 4 is found. And then if I were to go all the way back to page 4, which is chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, I'm able to conclude one thing by just looking at those two pages. Mankind is wicked. Mankind is evil and rebellious against God. But here's the other thing you can conclude by looking at those pages, or maybe page 4 and 5, as you read the promise that God offers to Adam and Eve after they fell and disobeyed. Not only can we conclude that mankind is wicked, I mean, look in the world today. Look as people continuously leave God out of their families, out of their organizations, out of institutions, and look at the wickedness that we see. And it's not just any more wickedness and we just kind of chastise it. It is now tolerated wickedness, which is just part of our culture and almost celebrated. And we are chastised for wanting to pursue holiness and righteousness. So if you look on page 4, we conclude, and page 1406, or 1460, mankind is wicked. But we also see, at the same time, that God always provides a way of hope. He provided a way of hope all the way back on page 4 and 5 of my Bible, just as he provides a way of hope on page 1460. So let's go chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, this is God telling his people, you have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Then he goes on to say, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming like burning, like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. He goes on to say, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So in this particular text, we're going to look at a few things. And as we were reading, if you may have noticed, there are two groups of people that we just read about. 
We read about the first group at the end of chapter 13, or chapter 3, starting in verse 13, the group that sees it vain to serve the Lord. As if all of the statutes and all of the commandments that they were obeying and they were walking through have now, instead of becoming more and more opportunities to grow in their walk with God, they are now becoming meaningless formalities. It's almost like today someone were to tell you, you know, I tried the Jesus thing, I went to church, I tried praying, but it was just a waste of time. You know, as we talked about earlier on in this particular study in the book of Malachi, these people, just like our people in today, we live in an instant gratification kind of society where we want things now, here and now. So people will go to church for three weeks, they'll pray on a daily basis for a couple of weeks, and and maybe they'll read their Bible for a little bit. But because God doesn't give them the new car, or God doesn't give them the new job, or God doesn't heal their body fully, or God doesn't restore the broken relationship immediately, it's as if doing these things that are now formalities to us, reading our Bible, spending time in prayer, going to church, prioritizing our time to glorify the Lord, instead of them being opportunities to grow, they now become meaningless formalities, just a waste of time. And that is what we see today too. We see people who will go through the motions, but then over time they just fade off. Why? Because I tried it. He didn't answer my prayer. He didn't heal my body. He didn't restore the home. He didn't provide the money that we were looking for. So all of these things that you and I, as Christians, should strive to grow in are meaningless. It's just done in vain. There is no point to these people that turn against God. So what are some formalities that you and I should be prioritizing? What are these things that we should be striving to grow in? Well, I wrote a list, and there's more I'm sure that you may do in your own home, or there's things I probably left off here. Going to church, we should prioritize going to church. Why? Because we keep attendance? No, because it's a time for you to, maybe for the only time that week, to connect with brothers and sisters in Christ and to exalt the name of Jesus. We should prioritize reading, prioritize reading our Bible, right? This thing is not just a pretty decoration and a dust collector, right? We've all been there. It's collected. It's set pretty. You know, the pages are pretty shiny. You're, you're afraid, do I write in my Bible? Is that forgivable? Is that bad? No, no. This is the very word of God that he has given to us, and we have Bibles, plural, in our homes sitting on shelves that are never, meant, never even touched. I don't know if you've ever watched or not, but if you were to watch some of these countries, third world countries that don't have Bibles, You'll see them being dropped off by a helicopter, and people are sprinting around the fields. They are screaming and hollering and praising the name of the Lord because they've never opened one of these yet. And they cannot wait to get in their hands the very word of God. But if we aren't careful, this will just be a waste of time, or I don't have time, or just a meaningless formality. This is the holy inspired, breathed out word of a holy, righteous God that you and I have. All of the answers to life are in this. All of our instructions to live as followers of Christ here and now are in this. All of our hope that we will ever need, not in politicians, not in government, not in bank accounts, is in this. This is something that is to be truly honored and admired, which is the holy word of God. It should be a formality that you and I should grow in. We should prioritize. We should prioritize prayer. That is our literal connection with God the Father. Jesus walking the earth. Okay, let's just raise our hands here. Who here would ever put yourself in the same sentence as Jesus? 
about how good you are, how well you've lived, how holy you act. No, none of us. It would be arrogant and a blasphemy to do that. Jesus himself made it a priority to spend time with the Father in prayer. Think about God in flesh made it a point to prioritize prayer. Therefore, if you and I are looking at prayer like a waste of time where God doesn't ever answer my prayer, there's no point in it because I never get what I ask for, then one, we are looking at prayer wrong, but two, we are not growing in and prioritizing and striving to be in prayer. And then I put our offering, whether that be financially, time-wise, energy-wise, what do we offer to the Lord? See, they were going through sacrifices as just throwing the scraps on the altar. They were looking at giving their money, just let me just give a little bit leftover. I'm going to rob God. And, and then they were looking at the time that they had, like some of us do. Let's just face it, we do. We don't have enough time. You know, it's my one day off, or it's my one day to, to get some things done. It's my one day, it's my, my only night throughout the week that, that, you know, that I need to do something, and we have life group, or we have church on Sunday, or we have this service event. All of us have been there. But we need to prioritize this as a formality. Attending church, making it to Bible study, reading our our Bible ourselves, spending time in prayer, and offering up to the Lord. But what we see is these people view it as, it's just a meaningless formality and a waste of time. Now we move to the second group of people. The second group of people... It says in chapter, 16, or chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. So we have the group of people that do not fear the Lord. They reject God, and they look at serving Him and following Him as just meaningless formalities. It's just done in vain. It's wasted time. Now we move to the group of people that fear the Lord. This is what the Bible says happens here with these people. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord did what? Heard them. He paid attention, and He heard them. So right there, we are able to see that if you and I fear the Lord, and I'm going to break down here in just a moment how we can fear the Lord. If you and I fear the Lord, if we serve him and glorify him and follow him, he actually hears our cries. We're reminded throughout the scripture that he hears the cries of his people, but we're reminded right here, not only does he hear them and pay attention to them, but then he goes on to write their names in a book of remembrance that would last forever. We all long to see our name in what? The book of life, right? Like, if your name's not in there, you're not in. You're not in. Jesus talked about people's names being written in heaven forever. So if you and I fear the Lord, not only does he hear our cry here now, not only does he walk with us in the seasons of life that we go through, not only does he mend our broken hearts, but he writes our name in a pen that is erasable. He writes our name with ink that... No man or no bad situation or no bad act can go any race. It was written by the hand of our Father, therefore it will be. And we, as His people who fear Him and who serve Him and who follow Him, can know that He doesn't only just hear us, He doesn't only just help us here now, but He's literally building us a home in heaven, and our name will be etched in heaven forever. So what do we see, as I mentioned earlier? We see that people are wicked we see that those, there are people in our world that will reject him and look at following him, look at going to church, look at giving of our money or her our money, look at giving of our little bit of free time as a wasted time, as meaningless formality and all done in vain. And then there's the other group of people. There's us. Just look around and smile. Here we are. Right? These are our battle buddies. 
Sometimes you just got to do what you got, right? Just deal with what you got. But there's us. And I pray that all people in this room, but there's probably a good reality that not all people in this room truly fear the Lord. Let's just be honest. There's a great reality that there are people in this room that sometimes just put the mask on temporarily and do not truly fear the Lord. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Do I walk around the edge of the room like there's a ghost in the house? No. Do I, do I fear the Lord? Although you should, because he will demolish those that reject him, as we'll read here in just a moment. Do I fear the Lord by wondering, oh, I wonder what he's going to think, or I wonder what he's going to say because I did this bad thing, or I said that bad word, or I did this one deed, or, or now he's turned his back against me, now he hates me. Now. No, no, no. Here's what it really means to fear the Lord. I wrote a few things down that you and I can do to fear the Lord. And what we're going to see is how we go from being the wicked to now being the righteous. And I'll finish with that here in just a moment. But in order to you and, for you and I to fear the Lord, that means that you and I honor Him in all we do. All we do. All we do. At all times. In all situations. All the time. So what I'm trying to say is we don't just honor the Lord on Sunday, live how we want the rest of the time, and consider that fearing the Lord. Because that's just teasing him. That's just flirting with the Lord, not fearing the Lord. And Jesus doesn't flirt well. We've talked about that numerous times. Jesus isn't a friends with benefit kind of God. He is the God, and he is to be our one God. So we fear him by honoring him in all that we do. We fear him by obeying his commandments. What are his commandments? They're here. You've got to know his commandments in order to obey him. Jesus even said that you will be my disciples, and if you love me, you will obey my commands. So we must obey him. We fear the Lord by worshiping him, not just on Sunday mornings when Brian and Dave and Tanya and all the groups leading, but we worship him all of the time. That doesn't mean we sing all the time. Some of us are not very good singers, and it would be bad to the ears of the people. We worship him with a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude for what he has done for us. And if that means you sing on your way to work, sing on your way to work. If that means you sing in the shower, sing in the shower. If that means you spend time in prayer and just thank him for what he's done, that is worshiping the Lord. We fear him by turning away from sinfulness and living in repentance. If you and I are to look at our lives and we see things that we constantly repeat that are sinful, there is a great reality that we may not fear the Lord like we should. We may not sit in awe of who he is. If we continuously live in sinfulness, we know it's sinfulness, and we just casually and comfortably live in it, that is wrong of us. It's even worse if we know that it's wrong and we do it than if someone didn't know it was wrong. So how do we fear the Lord? We repent of our sin and turn from our wickedness and live in righteousness. And we live in fear of the Lord by admiring him for all that he is, all that he's done. We carry a heart of thanksgiving, not just in November, like Bill tried telling you earlier, all the time, to thank him and to praise him for all he's done. So how do we go from being the wicked to the, to the righteous? Well, in this particular text, we see three ways. First, we do see that we are to fear the Lord. Then we see that we are to walk in obedience. See, the first group of people walked in obedience for so long, but then they just got tired of it. They viewed it as done in vain and a waste of time, so they stopped. But then there were those that feared the Lord. God heard them, and God offered a way of hope for them. 
So we must walk in obedience to God, even if, even if it's this, even if it's countercultural, even if our obedience to God isn't accepted, tolerated, or praised by the culture we live in, that we are to still walk in obedience to God. And here's the thing. Jesus was highly countercultural. Jesus came against the fabrics of the norms of the culture and society and society in which he lived in. Why? Not because he was a rebel and trying to prove a point because I'm Jesus and I'm going to prove a point here. No, no, no. Because he walked in true obedience to the Father. So in order for you and I to walk in true obedience to who God is and what he's calling us to be, it may look a little countercultural where we don't praise the things the culture praises. Or we don't promote the things that the culture praises where we don't bow to things that the culture bows to. There's going to be some hills that you and I must be willing to die on, and the culture isn't willing to die on. So we, we obey him even if it's countercultural, or even, even if it is meaningless to those around us. Because we all know those people. Maybe they're in your family, they're in your friends group, they're on your social media page, they're definitely in your phone book right now, that look at you, and may mock you because of your faith. It just is a waste of time to them, and it has no point to them. And even in those times, we are to walk in obedience to him, regardless of what people say, what people think, or how people take us. And we are to always, always look at walking in a way of obedience as a means of going from the wicked to the faithful or to the righteous. So if you remember here, it says that in verse 18, once more you shall see the distinction between the what? Righteous and the wicked. Then he goes on to say, between the one who serves God and the one who does not. The day is coming. That alone is a great phrase, right? The day is coming. What we see in here is a little prelude to what's going to happen on the day of judgment in which our God is going to make a very, very, big distinction, very clear distinction between those who feared him and those who didn't. Those who feared him are going to be spared as he promised. We're going to be saved from the wrath that is to come for those that do not fear him. And then there is a very great distinction for those that do not fear him, those that reject him, those that choose to live life however they want, live in the sinfulness that they comfortably live in and enjoy and is pleasing to them. And then for those people, there's a very clear picture of what's going to happen. They will be, and if that's you in this room and you do not repent and call upon the name of the Lord, you will be utterly destroyed. Am I trying to scare you? Kind of if need be. I mean, to picture that you will stand before a holy, righteous God one day, and you will give an account for all that you've done, all that you've said, and you will either be welcomed into his presence because of your faith and acceptance in Christ, or you will be cast away from his presence in a place we know is hell, and you will be living there forever. And you will be living away from the source of both life and light forever. There is no getting to hell and thinking, well, I didn't, I didn't have the same opportunity. No, no, no. If you're here, you have the same opportunity as everyone else in this room to repent of your sin and call upon the name of Jesus. So we also see that he calls some wicked and he calls some righteous. Let's just be honest, really honest here. It's almost an oxymoron for you to call yourself the righteous, right? An oxymoron is not just a name you give to your husband, but it is a true name, Right? That's probably the names you might give to your husband, if we're to be honest, right? It's almost an oxymoron for me to say, yes, I'm considered the righteous, because I'm not right. I'm not righteous. 
There's moments where I fall. There's moments that I struggle. There's moments that I am sinful. But we come to the third point. So one, we are to fear the Lord. Two, we are to walk in obedience. And lastly, we are to be in full surrender to Christ as Lord. Full surrender. For we know that he said in John chapter 14, verse 6, For I am the way. Not one of, but the way. I am not one means to life. I am the life. And I am not one way. I'm not one life. But what do you say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. And he goes on to say after that, no one comes to the Father except through me. So how do you and I go from being the wicked into being the righteous? Even though we can't really call ourselves the righteous because we know deep down we're very unrighteous. Even though we know deep down we've done a lot of unrighteous deeds. Even though we know deep down tomorrow we're probably going to fall short. And next week we're going to be in the same boat. And we're going to be constantly living in guilt and sinfulness or, or repentance. And it's this, it's this weird thing that God allows us to call ourselves the righteous even though we're completely unrighteous. How do we do that? Through Christ. Through Christ alone. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he, God the Father, made him, Jesus the Son, who knew no sin. Meaning, he had not sinned ever and could not sin ever. For, for our sake, on our behalf, he made him who knew no sin to become our sin. So that in him we could become what? The righteousness of God. So what we do is to live the rest of our lives living in the righteousness of Christ. So how do we live in the righteousness of Christ? We literally try to imitate all that he did and all that he was. And the only way to know exactly how we are to live in the righteousness of Christ is to read the words of him, to follow his example. So I will end with this. You and I have one way of hope. Christ. We have one means of salvation, Christ. We have one way to eternal life, Christ. We have one way for forgiveness of our sin, Christ. We have one way to go from the wicked, the evildoers that we really are at heart and by nature, and to be considered the righteous and to be adopted as children of God. It's through whom? Christ. That's it. I'm here to tell you that if you think that I will behave my way to heaven or I will be good enough neighbors my way to heaven or I will, I will straighten myself up good enough to get to heaven, you are totally wrong and you will be utterly destroyed. But if you will surrender yourself fully to Christ, then you will be one day kind of humbled at the fact that God would allow you in. Let's just be honest. We're all going to walk around for eternity and be like, how did you get here? <laughs> Let's just be honest. We're going to see people that we knew weren't right at times in their life, and we're going to say, how in the world? <laughs> and they're going to say the same thing to us. How in the world did you get here? Do you remember? No, we're not going to go there, right? But we have one means of hope, Christ. So he wraps up this whole letter with, you have one way of living. You have one way of hope, and it's me. So as we conclude today, I want to just ask you one question. Yeah, we can, we can talk about different ways we obey the Lord and different ways that we walk in righteousness. We can talk about different ways that we fear the Lord and, and how we praise Him and humble, humbly serve Him and how we adore Him. 
But the most important question we could ever answer is, are we fully surrendered to Christ? That is the most important question you could ever answer. Even more so than, will you marry me? The most important question you could ever answer is, are you fully surrendered to Christ? And if you are, let me encourage you that your name can be sketched in a book by the Father that will one day be opened and written in heaven forever. But if you are not fully surrendered to the Lord and you just fear the Lord on Sundays, or if you just throw Jesus as your cherry on top of the Sunday, then I'm telling you, you are going to be utterly humbled and destroyed one day. And you will be like stubble, which they can't even make up the forms of the building or the tree, and be cast away from him forever. So if you were to answer that question honestly, what would it be? Yes, I'm fully surrendered. I serve him. I worship him. I fear him. I walk in obedience. And I serve him. And I surrendered all myself to him. And one thing I've always said, if, if Jesus is your Lord, he is your Lord fully. Not just conveniently or not just needingly, but fully, totally. Or if you're here today and you say, you know what, if I were to be honest, I comfortably worship the Lord. When it's convenient for me or when I have free time or, you know, when I'm not doing too bad in life, I will worship Him and I will praise Him and I will give thanks to Him and I'll, and I'll go to church and I'll read my Bible. But then I fall in rebellion and in rebellion and in rebellion and I turn against Him time after time. I want to just encourage you as well, if that's you, that there is a way of hope and His name is Jesus. And you have an opportunity to fully surrender yourself to him. And I pray that you would consider that. One of these days, there is a day coming, for the day is coming, like the Lord said, in which there will be a great distinction between those who serve him and those who don't. There's two types of people in the world. I don't care what the Enneagrams say. I don't care what the people type personality tests say. There are two types of people, those who serve the Lord and those who don't. The question is up to you to answer. Let's pray.